Hello and welcome to another episode of the Creative Waffle Podcast. I'm your host Mark Kyrens and today we're chatting to someone I've looked up to for quite a long time now. I've been following Dave's work since I was young. Here's one of the people that inspired me to start doing football graphics and actual illustration work. It's amazing to finally chat with him about his work, his process, how he got to where he is, the struggles of trying to be a designer and the highs of working with people like Liverpool Football Club and BT Sport, just to name a few big clients he's had. I really hope you enjoy this podcast as much as I did. Without further ado, this is my chat with Dave Will. Welcome to the podcast. Hello, nice to meet you in face to face. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Uh, so let's start with your story and, and where you grew up and uh, your tales of becoming a designer. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Um, so I was born in Liverpool, England. Still, still live there now, and never really moved very far away. And I think we were just chatting before the podcast started about a little bit about my story and what I've put online. So there's a few bits on my Instagram. I've I've made an effort to do some. Instagram stories that talk through a little bit about my path to design and how it wasn't as straightforward as maybe it looks from the outside. Um, and I've, I've kind of highlighted all those on my Instagram story on my profile, so they're all there for people to, to check out if they want. But yeah, I guess I was I was into kind of artsy stuff in school and like to doodle and all the stuff that people do when they should be listening. And I wasn't really ever very academic, so stuff like maths and science was just not for me. But I didn't know anyone that did anything close to graphic design. So when it was time to look for university courses, I'd have flicked through the prospectus for the various universities in Liverpool. I knew that I didn't really want to move out of the city because I was quite happy where it was. Um, we got a couple of universities in Liverpool, but at the time there weren't many options just to do graphic design purely by itself. So I picked a course that was called product design, which I thought was the next best thing. Um, and after about 18 months of the course, I thought, yeah, this isn't for me really. There was a lot of hidden maths and science involved. And I, I don't know why, but I thought it was going to be a bit like Dragon's Den where we just come up with cool ideas and pitch them to our tutors and we go away and design cool stuff. And it was a, a tiny bit like that, but there was a lot of engineering involved and kind of spending hours in workshops, making prototypes out of wood and learning how to use machinery and all that kind of stuff. And it just wasn't really my thing, to be honest. So... Um, I got halfway through that course and felt like the only bit I enjoyed was our one-hour session on Photoshop every week. But I felt like I'd got that far into it that I should finish the course really and I'd spent that much money and I had a big student loan so I wanted something to show for it. So I just kind of cracked on, finished that course, didn't really do very well. Got a 2-2 in that, so I came up with a degree, but just about really. And then I spent the next year just trying to get a job. So I was naively applying for graphic design jobs with a product design degree, and I was getting either rejection straight away or the odd interview that did get people were just questioning, why do you want to do this when all your portfolio is product design work and you've got literally zero work samples to show us? And I think looking back, I just, I didn't know what I was doing, basically. I was, I was kind of applying for jobs that were cool, but... In reality, I had no chance of ever getting them. And I was doing really cringy things like turning up to interviews with no portfolio because they didn't ask me for one, which sounds mad when you say that out loud. But at the time, I just, I guess I was just kind of going for it and not really knowing what I was doing. I was making it up as I went along. So it took me a while really to get to the point where I realised I need to do something else to, to build up a portfolio of work that is good enough to show people this is what I want to do. Um, and I was doing little bits on the side, kind of in my evenings, just messing about with Photoshop and 
making pretend posters for bands and all that kind of stuff that everybody does, but it was nothing, nothing special really, nothing good enough to, to attract the attention of any potential employers. So I took a year out, I got a job in a college and just worked in a regular job and saved up my wages for about seven or eight months and then funded a master's course in graphic design. And that was definitely the, the best thing I ever did, really, because I got 12 months then of a course. There was only four of us on the course, so we got loads of one-on-one attention from the, from the students, loads of great feedback. So a lot more written work than I ever anticipated. So I was writing dissertations and, and essays on subjects around design, but it was such a fascinating year, and I learned so much in that 12 months that that gave me a bit of a boost. So then go back into the... the the workplace really and try and find a role that would suit um, my skills but even then it took at least six months to get decent interviews and um, I finally got a job I think it was nearly a year after I graduated from the master's so by this point it had been like five years since I went to university and I'd still never set foot in a design studio I didn't really know what people did day to day it was just hoping that it matched up to what I imagined um, and so after about yeah, I think it was six months after the master's course, I just started getting myself work placements, really. So I'd ring up design studios in the city or nearby and ask, could they come in for a week or two weeks or longer and work for free? And obviously most people say yes to that, because why wouldn't you? <laughs> but that was the type of thing that, that maybe you do when you're 16 or you're 18, and I was like 23 and doing it. But I felt like I'd got to give myself a chance to get some experience. And it was such a... Such a frustrating time, really, because it was a real cast 22 that you'd go to interviews and people would say, your work's okay, but you've got no experience, so come back when you do. And I would always think, how am I meant to get experience when no one's ever going to give me a shot and have a go, really? So I felt like the only solution was to work for free, which I was in a really fortunate position that I was living at home with my parents and didn't have any major outgoings, so I could afford to spend a bit of time working for nothing uh, just to get that valuable experience ready to put on my CV. So I did a couple of months in different places, a couple of weeks. Um, one place I worked for about eight weeks, I think, for free. And they gave me a £25 WH Smith's voucher as a thank you, which is a nice gesture, but when you break it down into the hours you've worked and divided by a £25 voucher that you can only spend in one shop that only just about exists, it, it wasn't the, the best. But um, but it was a means to an end, and basically that got me my first job. So, yeah, from then on, I just progressed. Started with a really rubbish job um, and just kept looking, really kept working in the spare time, taking on little freelance projects when I could or doing personal projects to show people what I could do and, and just built up from there, really, yeah. So that was just over 10 years ago. But it was just, a, it sounds like a really depressing story, but it was quite a struggle to get to that point of just the first job. And I think we were chatting before the show and I was saying sometimes you look at designers' websites and you look at people's client lists and you check out social media and it looks like people are doing incredible work, working for amazing clients and you, you can kind of look on with envy and think that's never going to be me. How am I ever going to get to that point where I can work with people like that and do that, that quality uh, level of work? And I suppose I've, I feel lately like I want to just share with people that it's not that easy. Well, it wasn't for me anyway. So it's took me a long time to get to where I am right now. And even where I am right now, I feel like I could probably progress further. There's still loads more stuff I need to learn and loads more things I need to kind of get my head around. Um, and I can obviously improve because no one's ever a finished article. Um, but yeah, it was just one of those things that it took a lot of kind of patience and 
and multiple attempts I must have gone to 30 or 40 interviews and got rejected and felt stupid and kind of started doubting whether I'd ever make it and started researching other possibilities of whether I should, I should just go and work back in the college that I worked in or get a job in an office or just do a regular kind of normal job so to speak and I didn't have anyone really that I would ask for advice because I didn't know any of the designers none of my family had, had done anything like that so there was no one I knew to kind of pick the brains so I, I literally was making it up as I went along and just hoping that I'd, I'd get that break at something which I did eventually but yeah it was a bit of a slog yeah yeah were the parents uh supportive of design stuff and what like what sort of stuff do they do yeah so both my parents have got pretty traditional jobs my dad worked in an office um till he retired i think he had one job his whole life from 16 to 60. Wow. and then my mum was a, a nurse so she worked in hospitals and doctor surgeries yeah. but they were really supportive they were great and they were patient just giving me the chance to explore different options and letting me live at home rent free for years till I could afford to pay them something back. Um, and I genuinely couldn't have done it without them because I think if I'd have gone away to university and got my own place, there's no way I could have afforded to have spent months on end working for free. So it was a real luxury that obviously not everybody gets, but that was a huge boost really. It gave me, gave me a bit of space as well to just try things and not, there was no financial worries about whether they wouldn't work or not it wasn't that wasn't really a factor at that point so i could just focus on kind of the, the career side of stuff yeah yeah it's good like it's good to have a support system around you that lets you evolve and lets you do it at your own pace so when you when you got out of union and i found that you had no jobs around you and couldn't get one because of no experience also what was going through your mind and what was it like being rejected so many times because a lot of students get that yeah it's, it is tough and it's it's one thing i think to be rejected because because people think your work's not good enough. But it was even more difficult, I felt, to be rejected just because you had nothing to show people. And I felt confident that I was good enough to to at least get kind of a, an intern job or a junior job. But I had nothing physical to show people to prove that I was, I was good enough, really. And I guess, looking back, it maybe I should have done more personal projects and spent more time in my evenings and in my time off just working on made-up briefs and stuff like that. But at the time... I didn't really know that and that wasn't something I'd ever thought of doing and there was no one around to tell me to do that so I did feel like I was stuck in a bit of a catch-22 and that was a constant I can re I can remember complaining to friends and family saying it's just ridiculous because people want me to have experience but no one's going to give me experience because no one's going to take the chance so it was like a like a vicious cycle that, that didn't feel like there was any solution really um, and I guess doing those work placements was was the answer really it's not that's probably not the answer for everyone because maybe not everyone can afford to do that. But for me, that gave me a, a couple of months worth of experience on the CV, which was enough to start getting me some proper interviews, um, which then got me the first job, that, that I, the first design job, basically, that I ever got. And even that was a really terrible kind of, it was a part-time job, designing adverts for the side of taxis, and it was a nightmare <laughs> I probably shouldn't go into details, but I didn't last very long because it all felt a bit shifty. So I didn't, I didn't survive there long. And then I moved on to somewhere else. And that was not quite as bad, but I was designing adverts that were like two or three inches square. So tiny little adverts that went in the back of magazines yeah. to promote local businesses. So they weren't even major magazines. They were kind of freebies that were given away in barbers and dentists and stuff like that. And really cheap, nasty things. And... The only things we were allowed to use were word art and clip art. So 
not even sure is clip art still a thing I don't know if people still yeah, use it on way out hopefully but I think it's <laughs> I think yeah, yeah. when I mentioned it last time on my Instagram I was thinking I wonder if people even know what clip art is because I don't know you used to be able to get these CDs with like 1000 clip art images on that you could use for whatever you wanted be really badly drawn little kind of vector style cartoony guys doing stuff so yeah, basically, I'd spend all day. I'd be given a list. I got in the morning of thirty adverts. I couldn't go home until I'd finished all thirty, which would normally take me all day. And there'd be adverts for local plumbers and mobile hairdressers and DIY guys, and they'd all want a little cartoony builder with the logo next to it. And and then they'd send you the logo, and it was just like a photograph on the back of a tissue or all kinds of mad stuff that. And we just had to get on with it. Really, there was no. We were the design department, so. Yeah. yeah, that was an experience. It was different. And it was one of those jobs where if you didn't get all 30 done, then we just got out of tomorrow. So the next day you might have 35 to do or 40 to do. And it was just about graphic design, I think. You could just about class it as design because it was it was very little actual design needed, but a knowledge of Photoshop and Word Art and opening clip art off CDs, basically. Yeah. But, when you're at these jobs, plugging away at stuff, you, you know, it's not your favourite thing to do and you don't really want to do it. What, what um, sort of advice would you give to people in that similar position? That sort of have uh, to plug away at it? I think it, it can be a bit disheartening, can't it? Spending all day doing stuff. And then on, on your lunch break, you're checking Instagram and seeing all these incredible pieces of design, thinking, oh, I wish that was me right now doing that stuff. And instead, I'm stuck making a poster for a dentist or whatever it is. But I guess the, the key is to just look for for the positives in that situation that you're in. So there's there's always going to be stuff you can learn, whether it's stuff that you just learn you don't want to do. So there's a lot of places I worked early on which were really badly run by people that weren't very nice sometimes or weren't the kind of nicest of characters. And there's loads of examples of things that I witnessed that I thought, if I ever do get a job in a design studio or if I ever do turn self-employed or even run my own studio they're all things I'm definitely never going to do and I don't want to be like that and, and I'm, ne I'm never going to kind of treat staff in that way or all the little things like that really that just it's just all experience whether it was good or bad it was all still experience that I found really useful so and there was the way things little positives like I kind of learned how to work a lot faster because the pressure of chaining out those rubbish little ads was, was quite high. Um, compared to when you go to university and you've got 15 weeks on one project and you kind of, yeah. you present to your tutor and everyone's really polite and you spent three weeks just on one A4 design, whatever it is. And in the real world, that's not always possible really. So there was small things like that, I think, that I learned that it was, it was important to kind of work quickly into even little, little tiny things like learning keyboard shortcuts in Photoshop that would speed up your, your work process. Um, yeah, so I appreciate it can be tough and it can be a bit disheartening, but it's, that would be my advice to just look for those little positives, no matter how small they are really, and just try and, try and keep the faith in yourself that it's just, this is a means to an end and it's a journey that's going to lead you on to the next step and that it's all good experience and all going to build you your skills and your character and hopefully take you a little bit nearer to where you want to go. Yeah, that's that's a really good point about uh, learning how other design studios are run. If you want to build your own when you're older, then it's um, 
learn, going to other studios is a really good way of learning how to run yours. Um, yeah. Or something I did a little bit when I had a few internships and the work experiences. Um, yeah, it's, it's a really good, really good tip to pick up on other people's mistakes, especially about treating employees as well. That's, I think that's really, really a huge one. Yeah, I've never got to the point where I've had any employees, even now it's just me, so I'm just self-employed, but there was a place of work that was really strict about holidays and kind of we have to give loads of, loads of um, notice in advance just to get a few days off. And yeah. I was denied requests to go to funerals, all kinds of stuff like that, which was just really difficult at the time. But yeah, they're all those type of things where you just think that, that's that's just not going to be the way I'll do things if I ever am in that position. Um, yeah, for sure. Absolutely, yeah. What what sort of doubts did you have when you're doing these jobs? It was like a means to an end to get to the next position, like a key to an open door. But like you were saying before the podcast, you're saying that there's always doubts going through your mind that you're never going to get to the next position. How did you ever? Yeah. yeah, I think probably looking back, it's easy to think. It's easy to see that you're like, oh, well, I spent six months in this place and then the next job I got was slightly better and I only spent three months there and then I got another job that was better again. And you can, It's easy to, to look back and see that progression, but obviously in the moments when you go into work nine to five every day and it's not what you really want to do, it can be tough to keep up that, that um, motivation to keep going really. So, yeah, I think at the time it was tough but I feel like it's never been easier really to get noticed. So I really struggled at the time to get people to just look at my work and it was hard to get interviews or get portfolio reviews to go to places and get them to look at your stuff. So when, was, sorry, when was this? Was this like 2006, 2007? Uh, it? it was about, yeah, it was about 2003, 2004. So, so media hadn't really hit the scene yet. So it's like, it's a lot harder. Yeah. yeah, definitely. So I think Twitter, maybe Twitter existed, but it wasn't really as it is now. I don't think Instagram. I think it was 2006, I think. Was it, yeah? Makes me feel really old. Yeah. <laughs> um, I can still remember the internet being brought to our secondary school and the, the excitement when everybody realised we could get on the internet, but the only thing we could get on was the BBC website. So uh, BBC Bite Size, that was it for me. Yeah, um, that was all that was all we got. And if you tried to search for anything else, your computer just locked down and <laughs> you got told off. But um, yeah, but obviously with the internet it's it's maybe obvious to say it, but there's never been a better way of showing your work off to prospective clients and to to people who may be interested in employing you really. So having a, an Instagram account where you can share what you're doing, um, a Twitter account that you can get feedback on on different stuff and and the fact that you can put one image out online and it can be seen by potentially thousands or, or more, like that just didn't exist 10 years ago, that wasn't possible. So I've done projects where people have sent me emails from China or from Canada or Brazil, places I've never been to, but they've seen my work. So yeah, if if for someone who's in that position now, I think I would say yeah, that it's really important to to get your work into those places and and use them well. Don't don't just be using them to tweet about rubbish or to complain about politics or whatever else people do on social media. But but that can be such a powerful tool to put your work out there. Even if your work's not very good, you can put it out there and get feedback, and people can kind of help you improve even even if everyone's telling you it's rubbish then maybe that's a chance for you to to kind of sit down again and think why does everyone think it's rubbish is it rubbish is it worth me trying something else or you can get instant feedback good or bad with with the click of a button so 
um, maybe that would have helped me at the time. And I feel like I've connected with loads of designers now, mostly designers I've never met because I work from home. So I've got a whole group of people I can send word to that will give me feedback. Um, people whose work I admire that I can check out every day for inspiration, stuff like that. Whereas when I was fresh out of uni and, and didn't really know what I was doing, as I said before, there was no one to ask. So maybe if Twitter was around, I could have, I could have tweeted random strangers and asked for advice. But so I look up to you, and a lot of people look up to you as a for inspiration. She was seen as one of the sort of, I don't know, one, one of the leaders in there. Not that sounds like a cult if it's called you a leader. <laughs> uh, one of the higher up guys in the in this community. Like who who do you look to for uh, inspiration? Well, there's so many. I think there's so many kind of designers and artists out there that yeah. that even now you you look at the work and and you just think, oh, that is incredible. I'm never ever going to get to that level of stuff, but. I quite enjoy looking at it, but I can't ever imagine I'll be that good. Um, so what, because that's sort of like designer envy, isn't it? Like, I was talking about this with uh, Kyle Van Cleef, who's, who's on another podcast with me. And, like, how yeah. do you, how do you sort of overcome that? How do you get over the, oh, I'm never going to be as good as that? Because a lot of kids do that and then they start copying because they want to be like that person. Yeah, I think it's, I take it as a, as a motivation really to look at someone else's work and think maybe I'm not as good as that right now, and maybe I never will be, but I can at least try, I can kind of try to improve and I can keep working and, and keep learning new skills and try new techniques and never really standing still, I suppose, because you maybe you might find a technique that you think works well for you and people like it and that's great, but things age so quickly online and, and in the world of design. So I feel like that's a really good motivation for me to just keep keep moving forwards, keep trying different techniques. Um, improving my use of colour and using typography better, all those small things that you look at other people and think, because I, I don't know whether you do, but I look at different designers and I think, oh, that guy uses um, backgrounds really well, or yeah. this guy's incredible with his colour palettes, or that person just seems to use type in such a balanced way. And, and, and I also feel like I'm just making it up basically as I go along. So, um, so that's always been quite a motivation to me to think well, that person seems to be smashing it lately with the colour palettes. I'm going to spend a bit of time just trying to improve my use of colour palettes and, and try some things maybe that might not be very good, but just give it a try anyway and put it out there and see what people think. And, and I suppose the, the, the best kind of um, encouragement to yourself is to look back at old work and hopefully cringe that how bad it is because if, if you look back at work from five years ago and think it's great then maybe you've not progressed like you should have so i feel like there's times if you look back at old stuff and you think oh that is awful then as embarrassing as that can be because it's probably on the internet now forever and that's a that's a positive in the sense that you feel like you've you've got better since then and so then you can kind of reassure yourself that if you've got better in the last five years then hopefully you're going to get better five years from now so maybe one day you will be as good as all those guys that you see online. And the only problem is if you're getting better, they're probably going to get better too. So <laughs> you might never catch them up, but you should improve. So, you know, you've got to keep trying. That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. Now, now looking at your portfolio and stuff and, and your, your work you've done now uh, and how you've improved, how can people work with these big clients like you have? How, how can they sort of attract these big names? Um, I think a bit like we said before, the, the biggest thing for me is to just do personal projects. So when I 
when I finally got a decent graphic designer job, I was fortunate that the place that I worked did a lot of sports related design, which I didn't know at the time, but that was that was really kind of right up my street. So I've always enjoyed various sports and then a the chance to work on different projects that were sports related with it was just brilliant really. So I spent a lot of my day job doing quite solid graphic design work, like we designed catalogues for football clubs that were available in their retail stores. Um, and we did a lot of product kind of packaging. So I was doing a lot of graphic design, kind of Photoshop heavy work, which meant that in my evenings, I would go home and just have fun and open up Illustrator and do some illustration bits and kind of maybe do things that were a bit more cartoony or a bit more kind of aimed at kids or, or just stuff just for fun really because I enjoyed it. So, and that was purely because I didn't get to do that in the day job and I felt like I wanted to do a bit more kind of illustration stuff. So, and, and that was where things like social media came in really useful for me. So I did a, a Liverpool FC themed postcard. So it was the start of the, the 2013-14 Premier League season. Liverpool played Stoke and they won 1-0. And I'd just seen online, I, I was watching Breaking Bad at the time and I saw someone that was designing a poster for every episode of Breaking Bad. Oh, nice. I thought that's a really cool, massive project, but it was really cool to look at each one and they picked out a scene from, from the episode and they, they kind of dressed it up like a movie poster um, and used the name of that episode as the title of the movie. And I, re- I remember looking at that in work the next day and thinking, oh, that, that is really cool, but wouldn't that be even better if that was for sport? Imagine if somebody created a movie poster that was sport related and that got me thinking about whether I could do that. And, and so I basically... On my lunchtime that day, I designed it. It ends up being postcard size because I didn't have much time really. So I produced this little postcard size moment that, that was based on the Liverpool game from the weekend before. So it was Daniel Sturridge, I think it was, that scored the winning goal. And so I just illustrated a Daniel Sturridge um, celebration with the score above his head and underneath it, a few details saying Liverpool versus Stoke, whatever month it was and the days and stuff like that. Um, and I stuck it on Twitter and that was it. And then I checked my Twitter after work and I had quite a few retweets and quite a few likes. And it, that was that was a big boost to my confidence. So the next week I thought I'd do it again. So this, the second match of the season, they played Aston Villa and they, they won, I think, with a Colo Torre goal. Or, it was a Colo Torre inspired design. I can't remember why. He had a score, though he played well. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Um, and then when I put that on Twitter, that got an even better reaction, and people were saying, Oh, these are cool, can I buy them? And at that point, I had no intention of ever selling them. It was just a bit of fun, and it was a chance for me to improve my illustrator skills and to work on a little project that that combined all of my kind of interests of football and Liverpool Football Club. And, design work and all, all those things um, and it just snowballed from there really so that was that was a project that that organically just grew into a season-long thing and I, I did a, a new postcard every week I started selling them on and made a little website and just sold them for three pound each and then that introduced a whole new world of dealing with customers and sorting out complaints and going to the post office every week to send off orders and, and dealing with printers as well which I, I did in the day job a little bit, but but when it came to postcards, I was solely responsible for checking colours and sending them specs and prepping the artwork and all the things that, that people do all the time, but I'd never really done it before. Um, and then because that project was quite popular, it, it coincided with Liverpool doing really well in the league. So that was the, 
that ends up in the season where they almost won the league if it wasn't for Stephen Gerrard slipping over and Lewis Suarez losing his head and yeah, all that stuff. Um, and because the team were doing so well, that really helped the project because people were, were getting carried away with the momentum of the season. And people really wanted to collect every single postcard. And so I was selling them all around the world. There was countries everywhere that were ordering them. And people were sending me monthly messages saying, took the kids to the match for the first time or they've been with the dad who was 90 years old all different stories and people wanted to buy a postcard to remember the match by so it felt like at the time i'm not sure anything existed that was similar to that whereas i don't know whether i don't know whether it's a coincidence but it feels like there's a lot of football clubs now that do weekly mm. posts for matches on top on top of a match day program which obviously people have done for years and there's a lot of clubs that run kind of the contests to get people on Twitter to design um, posters and all that kind of stuff. Liverpool as well, didn't they? Liverpool did the contest. To, yeah. yeah, yeah. Last season, I think I think I, I complained to them a little bit about it because I just felt like I understood from their perspective why they were doing it, and it's a great social tool for people to feel involved and to to kind of feel like they've got some kind of contact with the club. But I felt a bit like those projects are maybe taking advantage of people that are really skilled but are desperate to work with big clients and will work for free if it means that they get a retweet off the club or something. Yeah. Something really simple basically. So for that for that project for example with the I think it was called My Match Day Image, there was some incredible entries and there was really, really talented people from across the world entering every week. Mm. And only one person will get selected. So there's all this brilliant work that was going to waste that people had spent ages on that they weren't being compensated for and maybe that was okay for maybe those people didn't mind but for me I felt a bit like there's got to be a better way of doing this that involves maybe being a bit more fair to to those people and even the person that was chosen as the winner I think the prize was just getting that image shared on the club's social media channels which is a nice is a gives you a nice boost but but when you're a full-time freelance designer and you've got clients who they were quite tough to negotiate with when it comes to fees anyway, to see something that popular and that big and realise that everybody involved is doing it for free, yeah. it can make it really difficult when you've got to go to a client and, and they expect free things because they've seen similar things online. So it's sort of, that, Sorry to cut you up, but it's sort of crazy that false hope as well that those designers that are into the competition are eventually going to work with Liverpool or going to work with these big clubs as well. Yeah, for sure. And and maybe it's good for that person that's, that's chosen as the winner. They can stick it on the website and, and show people what they've done. But the but I always found the problem is that if you do free work, then that's all people will expect you're ever gonna do. So how do you how do you possibly tell the next clients that they they need to pay for theirs when they know that the work on your website was all done for free? And yeah, so I guess we've gone off topic a bit, but that was it. That was a a bit of a and I, and obviously I there's I know quite a few people now that work at the club and they're all really great at what they do and and I've t- I've talked to different people about it as well and they've explained from their perspective and I, I totally get it from a social media point of view I work with a lot of social media based clients now and it's a it's a really clever idea for them because it generates lots of engagements and it generates um, a real buzz around each match and people are, are, are kind of desperate to get involved so it's a really clever idea but there was bits of it that I just felt made it difficult maybe like you say sent out the wrong message to the, all those people involved that they felt like this might turn into a, a real job or yeah, yeah. So 
it was tricky. But going back to 13-14 season, um, because that little project ends up being so popular, that kind of, I think your question was how you attract the attention of big clients. And I got some work from BT Sports off the back of those postcards. So there was someone that was following that project um, that got in touch and said he'd seen the postcards. Would they be willing to do they wanted something similar to a postcard? Um, a graphic that they could share online to promote their upcoming live game. Um, so I did one of those, got paid. It was just a normal commission. Um, and then that led to another similar job at BT Sports and it kind of snowballed from there. So then I met a lot of different guys who worked for BT um, and eventually started freelancing with them on a kind of a semi-regular basis, which I still do now. So that was three, four years ago. And they're probably one of my biggest clients at the moment, one of the long, longest standing clients. And it all came really from that personal project. That was just a chance for me to practice and try things and and stick it online and show what I've done but there was no there was no great master plan um, and and it turned into a really big project that sold really well that opened up loads of other doors and created new opportunities um, I even got a job actually with Everton about two years later because the guy who was in charge of Everton's hospitality had seen the LFC postcards on Pinterest and it bookmarked them because he always wanted to do something, he always wanted us to work together. Mm. And he got in touch about two years later off the back of that project. So that was a real kind of moment for me to, to realise the power of personal projects and, and just doing stuff that you love really with no ulterior motives. It was never about making money or, or even kind of gaining followers. It was just doing things that I enjoyed doing that I felt like this is a chance for me to improve. And so every week I'd set myself a challenge of designing something different. And it was great because I had no control over the score. So it was like a brief was being set every week that some weeks it was a good brief because they'd won 5 nil, and other weeks it was awful because they got beat or someone got injured or whatever it would be. But that was quite a nice design challenge to come up with solutions that would fit a postcard. Yeah, and it, and it all... I think that's the point that, that I could point back to to say that was pretty much where my freelance career began. Um, and so that was, I started that project in September of 2013. And then in February of 2014, I went freelance full time. Not necessarily because of that project, but just because I felt like it was time to move on from my day job. Yeah. And I was starting to get regular client work from different people. But I think that was, that had a lot to do with that that postcard project really so so yeah if if I had to sum it up to get to get noticed by big clients there's it's not easy but just keep doing the stuff that you love doing and, and if it's good enough hopefully people will find it yeah yeah that's good there's another other thing that I, I, I pick up on is uh to email people as well there's a guy called John Sport Traits I'm not sure if you're familiar with him yeah, yeah. yeah. so I talked to him as well and he, he's saying just the way he got his Man City gigs it's just to email everyone and get as many emails out as possible. Yeah. How much is that, or has it, or you been quite lucky with people coming to you? Um, yeah, I've not so far. I've been. I've got a lot of work just that's snowballed from other work. So I think because one of my early clients was BT Sport, that really helped. That was such a big name in sport that other people seemed to, to come to be attracted by that. Really, so it was quite an easy sell to to gain other clients because you get a lot of respect the guests from working with someone like that but but I did similar thing to John I didn't email everyone but I used to I still do actually follow people on Twitter that just look interesting or people that look like maybe they work for companies that I want to work with or they're in charge of departments like 
guys that commission program covers or people in charge of finding illustrators for football related projects mm. so i do follow a lot of those people and now and again i'll send them a message just saying this is my website this is what i do if you ever want to get together give me a shout so might be connecting with a few people on linkedin after this <laughs> <laughs> yeah linkedin's one of those things i've never really got into i've tried but i just can't get my head around yeah i feel like i've got enough to look after with twitter and instagram so there's too many things going on these days. I think I'm trying to shift more towards LinkedIn and Facebook because I think they're where my clients are. But uh, yeah, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. But yeah, uh, is there anything you would do differently uh, since as up to that point? It's hard to say, isn't it? Really, probably looking back, there was loads of mistakes that I made, and there was like that. Like I said earlier, going to interviews without any portfolio is just an absolute disaster. And the guy that interviewed me was kind of enough to just chat with me for ten minutes, and he was really nice. But he should have just laughed me off. Place and so there were silly, silly things like that, which I think were just naivety. Really, I didn't know what I was doing, and I was—I really was making it up as well along, just hoping that someone would take a chance. I feel like all those bad experiences end up being good experiences because you learn from them and you don't—you don't make those mistakes again, and it, it just helps it helps you kind of grow and progress. So yeah, there's probably nothing. Maybe I wouldn't do a product design degree. In, in university because I'm still paying that student well enough now. But then if it wasn't for that, I probably wouldn't have gone to Salford to do my master's. So it all worked out really well. Yeah. It's quite a tricky one with going to uni or not going to uni these days because even like since you went, I think it's changed slightly that you don't actually, I think employees and designers are looking more at your work than mm-hmm. um, degrees these days. Uh, and yeah. as well, more on the portfolio. Yeah, definitely. I think when I've, when I've posted those Instagram stories to my profile, there's a section of, of crazy called um, Frequently Asked Questions. And one of the slides is, should I go to university? And then and there's no right answer really, but there's a slide that lists reasons why you should, and then there's a slide that lists, lists reasons why you shouldn't. Yeah. And I think I'd almost be swayed to, unless you're going to do, unless you want to work in a, in a kind of niche that really needs a degree, there's almost, well, there is a reason, but there's not as much reason anymore to go to university as it used to be. Because like you say, people just want to see you work. So I've got, technically I've got two degrees. No one's ever asked me what they are. No one's, no one's interested, interested really because they just want to see you work. So I've got a website with all my recent work on and I think that's where I get most of my commissions from. Really, people just check that out and then get in touch via email or give you a call. No one's ever really bothered about what what degree you've got. No one's ever asked me. Um, but then there are definite perks, like it can it can build your confidence. You can learn new skills. You can create contacts. You can make friends doing a similar thing to you. There's there's loads of good reasons to go. Yeah. But if you go in just to, because you think it will help you get clients, I'm not sure that's true anymore. Really. Yeah, I think the contacts one is probably the main point to go. Um, mm. the friends you make and the experiences you have there. And then um, from what I've heard from friends and stuff. But uh, obviously you've got to think about the money you're spending to get that experience. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Lots of stuff. But yeah, it's, it's complicated and you can do a whole podcast on that. But what's, uh, what's your main bit of advice to young designers? Uh, get a different job and then there's less competition for me. That would be nice. Just go and do something else. So. <laughs> Stop um, Don't come in this yeah. There's an awful already think the design pool is full, so do something else. No, any Yeah, I think it just comes back to to practice really, to pixel projects. There's there's absolutely no reason why people can't spend a few hours a week 
on a on a brief they've just made up themselves and then put those put the end results online for people to see and that's the, the best way of improving because you're practicing every week it's the best way of getting feedback even if it's awful really cruel terrible feedback i would say if you can build a community of other designers or people that you trust then send them the work that you're doing because maybe it's just sticking out there you open yourself up to abuse or or feedback or critique from anyone and that's not always useful because you may just get people in a bad mood and, and they just want to send you some nasty comments and maybe they're not even designers or, or interested in design so they're not really a good source of feedback but yeah just just producing work as often as you can and I would say if that's the case just just work on stuff that you love so I supported my local team and I created work based around them. But if you're really into movies, then then wake up some fake movie posters. Or if you love tennis, then do something around that. Or what, whatever it is, it's so much easier to motivate yourself if it's a, a subject matter that you're interested in already, rather than just trying to copy other people online. Or rather than trying to follow trends or see what's popular on, on Pinterest or where, wherever you check your, your stuff, you're probably not going to make much progress if, if you're just trying to mimic other people. But if you can come up with something original that is different, that people are going to notice, that is going to help you improve as well. So there's no point practicing every week in Photoshop, doing backgrounds every single week if you're already pretty good at that. So maybe it's worth trying things that you're not so good at. Or like we said before, looking at people that you that you admire and thinking, how, how are they that good at that one thing? What can I do to improve? my use of typography or my use of colour and, and then just research that, get books on the subject or read blogs or listen to podcasts or whatever that would be, but but just make that active effort really to to improve your own skills and because it's just always going to pay off. It's always going to benefit you. So talking about you're being in part of the community and, and the illustration community and not having uh, too many people in it, there's loads and loads of people doing football, uh, design football stuff and... and... Yeah. Like mixing those two hobbies and it's fantastic I think, I think it's, you're a big supporter of the community by the looks of it on from what I've seen on Instagram and all the stuff you post and getting people to comment and interact with your, your posts especially like the park like the playground football stuff and the park football stuff you've been doing recently yeah. um, he's got a sort of really lit fire or really lit memories in people's brains of how they used to play as a kid yeah. Um, the big one to talk about is the MIFA okay so the, the MIFA project we called it was um, was something that I came up with just before the World Cup. So for the last few major football tournaments, the, the World Cup before that and the Euros in 2016, I think, and 2012, I've tried to, to create a personal project that I could work on based around that one-off tournament. And it's always been just for fun, really. So it's been a good chance to, to try new things and, and always a chance to, to get seen by new clients and, and um, making contacts and stuff like that. So this summer, I was really trying to think of a project that I could do around the World Cup and came up with this idea that um, what would it be like if you were a footballer and you were selected to go to the World Cup for your country and you bought your sticker book at your local WH Smiths with your vouchers <laughs> and then you opened the book and you weren't in it and I thought, I wonder if footballers, do they even care? Are they bothered? But I reckon deep down you will be a bit bothered because everyone wants to be a football sticker. That's I've got to be a perk of being a footballer. Um, it's like not FIFA, isn't it? It's like you, you want to be in it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, so I came, came up with this idea to draw the players that were missing from the Panini uh, World Cup sticker album. And I called it MIFA. 
which was a bit of a joke. It was like I took the FIFA logo and changed the first letter to an M because it stood for missing in the football album, which is a bit, a bit of an artistic license really to, to lose the, the so it would work. Um, and then when I actually bought a sticker album, which is great because it's been ages since I've, I've been able to have a good excuse to buy one. Um, and when I flicked through, I started making a list and straight away noticed that every squad has got 23 players in. But, uh, but actually every um, every page in the sticker book, there's only 18 players per squad. So straight away, five people will be missing from from each squad at a minimum. So there's 32 teams, there's five players missing. So already that's over 150, 180, something like that, players missing. And then on top of that, there's people like Joe Hart that were in the sticker book that obviously never made the England World Cup squad. So he was replaced by somebody else. That was another person. And I quickly made a list of, of how many people were going to be missing and realised it was going to be about 200 plus. And that was never going to be something I could do by myself. Um, so, yeah, I just put it out there. I, I designed the first one, which was Trent Alexander-Arnold because he plays for my local team of Liverpool. Um, and I, I tweeted about it and I said, I'm going to do this project. If anyone fancies joining in, just send me an email. And it just snowballed from there, really. So, yeah, loads of people got involved, like yourself. Very kind to give up your time. Um, I quickly developed a system where I would wait for a squad to be announced because the final 23-man squads were announced around, was it the end of May? I can't remember. It was a couple of weeks before this, the tournament started. So I needed to wait for those 23-man squads to be announced, then cross-reference that with the sticker book to see how many players were missing. And then I'd make a list on the website and say the following seven German players, for example, are missing from the Germany squad. Send me an email if you want to draw any of them. And it just proved really popular. I think it captured people's imaginations because it was quite a fun project. Um, I created a little sticker template for people to download so they could draw the player, drop it into the sticker template and just email me back. And then I added them to my website. So over the course of, the, of like a month, I think it was, before the tournament, there was 254 players overall, I think, that the people drew. Um, I drew two of them, so the other 252 were drawn. I think, did you say you did three yourself? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, and a lot of guys did more than one, and girls. Um, but most people did maybe one or two each. So I think I added up, there was about 200 different artists involved from all over the world. So there's people wow. emailing me from Brazil and Argentina and oh. Australia and Japan and everywhere really asking to get involved. And it was quite... Um, it's a bit bonkers, really. There was times when I I'd released a list of new players, and then my inbox just got overtaken by emails asking for certain players. And sometimes two people would email at the exact same time asking for the exact same player, and I'd just say yes to the first email in, in the list and have to reply to the other guy, the other person, to say no. Um, can you please pick somebody else? So that was a bit of bit of kind of That's it, yeah. management that was needed to to make sure everybody knew what they were doing. Um, and I actually thought, oh, this is going to be really easy and straightforward because I've drawn two and then everyone else is going to do the rest of the work and that can just happen to the site and it'd be cool. And then I soon realised it was actually really hard work to manage everybody and to give people what they needed and some people didn't quite understand um, the project itself so they need a bit of help or a bit of feedback and some people couldn't open the templates and some people couldn't use the font. And, and then um, I made this... A, Excel spreadsheet 
just to keep track of every player and who was illustrating which player. And then if someone hadn't replied for like two weeks, I'd chase them up and ask how we were getting on. And a couple of people just never replied. So then I had to find someone else to do their player. And so there's a lot of um, lot of management of freelancers, which I didn't expect. And, and I met loads of great people. I think we only met really through that project as, as far yeah. as I know. I mean, I've been following your work for ever since I did the first Swansea, trying to do a match day cover for Swansea. Uh, okay. Like three years ago. And um, I think that's when I started picking up your work as well. Cool. Um, probably inspired me quite heavily then. And uh, yeah, been, I've known obviously of you and, and followed your work for a long time. But yeah. Yeah, so that was, that was great for us to Kicked in. Yeah, definitely. Um, and then because there were so many players that had been designed, people kept asking what was the plan, what was going to do with all these all these illustrations and really like all my projects there was no no great plan really. I just thought I'll put them on the website and people can click through and look at them and that'll be it. And then I started getting more and more emails really, more and more inquiries asking what I was going to do with them all. So I decided to put them into a book and then I realised that everybody like yourself would wait for free. So if I was going to sell a book, I shouldn't. I shouldn't sell a book and make profit for myself because that would be unfair on all the designers that offer to work for nothing. And that wasn't that wasn't something I told people from. So I felt like that would have been a bit misleading to to sell a book made up of other people's work. So I sent a quick email around, which you probably remember, just checking yeah, yeah. would everyone be okay if I made a book and sold it for charity. Um, and that's what we did. So there was a local charity that helps people with mental health issues that have got a good relationship with the printers that I use. Um, so the printers very kindly printed the books for me at a reduced rate. And then we agreed that all the money made would go to the charity. So yeah, it worked out really well. I think we raised just over £4,000 for the for the charity. Um, and all the books sold out in, in about a week. So we, we only made 254 books because there was 254 players missing from the sticker album. Um, so did, it, did everyone get who, who was part of the project get one, you reckon? Or uh, like, um... Probably not everyone, no, because I, I gave people, I gave you guys, the artists, the chance to buy a book before they went on general sale. There was, was about 100 sold straight away. But if there's over 200 artists, I'm guessing not everybody bought one. Yeah, there, were, there were a couple of artists that emailed me just to say they wanted one, but they couldn't afford it or... Little things like that. So I'm not sure every single artist got one, but I know at least half did. So yeah, yeah. I think I think it's a credible project getting getting people involved as well, and not knowing it was for charity and just being until until I sort of halfway through it and just being just doing it for the passion, and then finding out it's for charity makes it so much better. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, one I'm setting it up. That's that's incredible. Yeah. Looking for it. Um, is there something you're you're quite proud of? Like quite quite, it's quite nice to have. Yeah, it's great to have a printed book, I think, at the end of it, especially because so much of what I do now is on social media and is, is only ever seen online. So it's almost gone full circle, but it's actually quite cool now to, to have something printed to show for it. So you've got something tangible you can flick through and it's a nice reminder on the bookshelf of the project. It's um, it's almost a few people kind of warn me saying it feels like you've created a directory of illustrators, so you might lose some work now because you've just made this book that's really easy for future clients to flick through and find loads of illustrators, which I've never even thought of. No, I didn't. But, but it's, it's, I think that has happened a little bit. A couple of different 
right. football clubs bought one, so there's different guys that work for different football clubs that bought a book, so they have a list of freelancers that they could get in touch with if they ever need to. Um, there's, there's a football club, Hibernian, in Scotland that just started a similar project. So they were kind enough to email and ask them just kind of let me know that they'd seen their for project. They wanted to do something similar based around club legends, I think. Um, and they're getting a different designer every week to illustrate a player. Um, yeah, so it's nice to see it kind of inspired other people to do something similar. Um, but yeah, just like all, I don't know whether, I guess everyone's like this, but you just start projects with no, well, I do anyway, with no end. I didn't have this, a great master plan or any kind of idea of where it was going to go. I thought I'll put it out there and maybe no one will reply and I'll just draw them on myself or I'll just give up and, and maybe do something else. But because the reaction was so good, it, it kind of snowballed from there and made it into a really nice project. So it's, it's literally is one of those things I couldn't have done without the help of everybody offering their skills and their time up for free. Um, yeah. yeah. So, so what's next for yourself? Um, that was a good question. I don't know, to be honest. I've got regular clients that I work with week by week, which which tick on quite nicely. Um, there's lots of things I'd love to be able to do that I can't do. So for the past couple of years, I've, I've really wanted to learn After Effects to add a bit of motion into the work that I do, and I've never got around to it. So I've started courses and never finished them and all that kind of stuff, but it would be great if we could find some time to do something like that, yeah, to add, a, add another kind of skill set to what I offer. And I feel like if you watch the current, the way that social media is going at the moment, people seem to be doing more and more video. And if video is on the rise and YouTube's growing faster than ever, and clients want animations just as much as they want illustrations now. So I definitely feel like that would make me more appealing to clients if I could do both. Whereas in the past I've done animation projects, but I've just illustrated scenes and then it's been sent on to it animated to, to do the rest, but it would be great if I could do it all myself. So that's something that has been on my to-do list for ages really, but it would be good if, if we could get into stuff like that. And then, yeah, I'm still doing silly little Instagram projects just to put out there. So I'm trying to think of something to do with all those, those little football schoolyards memories that you mentioned before maybe you'll put them into a little book and, and put those on my, on my website for sale something like that i'm just always always looking really for the next project so there's been things i've tried that i've put out on on instagram and twitter and i felt like they didn't go anywhere the reaction wasn't great so you just write them off and mm -hmm. think of something else um, but i feel like i'm always on the lookout for the, the next project really whatever that will be because nice. it's always, always nice having a personal project to work on in between client work and is that sort of like the relaxing time? You relax a little bit by doing those things, right? Yeah, it's, it's hard, I think, when you... I'm self-employed away from home, so when I've got no client work to do, which I'm quite fortunate there's not many days when I, when I don't have anything to do, but on the odd time I've got nothing to do, it almost feels like, like cheating if you're just sitting in the house doing nothing. So if you've got a personal project to do, then it just gives you something else to focus on, another chance to try new things and, um, and yeah, and put stuff out there, really. So Nice. I've taken too much of your time up already, so I'm going to ask you two more questions. Uh, so yeah. right, your quick ones. First one is, what's your best purchase under £100? Ooh. Um, and me for a sticker book <laughs> <laughs> yeah I could have said that if there's any left 
I'm just looking around my office thinking, what, what have I bought? Um, I re- it's not under £100, so I'm not answering your question at all, but I really want a graphics tablet. So for ages, I've looked into either buying a Wacom tablet or recently I was talking to, to somebody about an iPad Pro. So I've been looking at, at a way, obviously they're really expensive, so it's quite an investment to get one. That would be good. if I feel like that would really help because at the moment I use the mouse, the keyboard to draw in Illustrator, which is difficult at times. And, and a lot of the friends I've got in the industry use various different tablets and pens, so that would be good. Um, but yeah, in terms of something for under hundred pounds, um, oh, I'm stuck here. <laughs> I would say maybe discovering podcasts when I went self-employed. I've never really bothered with podcasts, but I'm not sure I could cope sitting by myself for eight or nine hours a day if it wasn't for podcasts mm. uh, and the fact that there's so many good ones for free so that counts actually doesn't that counts because they're under 100 pounds they're all for free well a lot of them are for free yeah are, are really good and it's just i found like i can i can get through days worth of podcasts with ease and listen to loads of different subjects and i've got a range of design related podcasts that listen to like yours mm. and uh, <laughs> lots of sports related podcasts uh, that I listen to and then there's just really random stuff as well on on history or bizarre science things, all all kinds of quirky things that you can listen to that just help you get through the day so you don't go too crazy sitting by yourself. Um, so, yeah, that would be my answer. Nice one. And uh, finally, how's yours been remembered? Oh, um, I, th- I suppose a bit like we said at the start, there's lots of people I work for in the design industry when I first began and weren't, weren't great or weren't the best example. And I think maybe I would like to be thought of as someone who is just willing to help others really and, and to share my experiences and to kind of offer advice and um and to to just help designers that maybe remind myself of me a little bit when I was fresh out of uni with with no clue what I was doing. I think I would have really valued having someone that I could have asked questions about and um and picked the brains on different things. So yeah I think I it that would be it would be great if if people thought something like that, that I'd be open to, to kind of answering questions and, and helping other people out and, and just maybe dispelling some of the myths that are so easily encouraged by certain designers that everything comes easy and it's all it's all cool and, and fun. And sometimes it's not actually, sometimes it's quite hard work and it can be quite tough and, and quite mentally tough as well to keep yourself going and to, to trust in yourself that, that you're going to get there eventually and all that kind of stuff that we talked about. So yeah absolutely nice one uh where can people find you on the internet and say hello to you um so my website is davewilldesign.com um and then my my twitter and my instagram handle is dave will but sadly someone had taken dave will so the two l's in my name are ones in my twitter and my instagram so it's dave w i one one that's at instagram and twitter nice one thanks very much for being on the show Thanks, Mark. Thanks for me. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Creative Awful Podcast. I really hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, leave a like and a comment. Who would you like to see on the podcast next? And don't forget the 100th episode, we've got a huge guest on the show. It's coming up in a couple of months' time, and I can't wait to share it with you. So stick around for that, and I'll see you in the next episode.